Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Lon Seiben, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a bunch of stuff to cover this morning, including going multi-platform. We're now on four different video platforms, all of which monetize to some degree or another, which is encouraging. Comcast might have a solution to my upstream bandwidth problem if I'm willing to pay for it. And I'll talk about their two gigabit symmetrical fiber service that's available to residential addresses now. Toys R Us is sort of coming back and we'll explore its uh, re-emergence. Windows 10 has a new update that is apparently deleting user files and we'll explore that briefly. We'll also talk about the best of those four platforms to watch me on. Uh, whether or not I've ever tried living off of Linux for a month, and how I feel passwords right now are horribly broken. Let's get to it. I want to begin by first thanking our newest member on the channel, Smoke Monster, who was one of our channels of the week a few weeks ago. Uh, He's got a great channel on Twitch and on YouTube where he explores a lot of retro gaming topics that I'm interested in, and I know you will all be as well. Uh, He's currently looking at some of the new developments in FPGA uh, simulation of old consoles, so definitely check out the Smoke Monster. I want to thank him for joining the ranks of our members. Now, we don't have an advertiser this week, but we do have a non-ad, an affiliate link for Amazon Prime, and they have a bunch of smartphones available at discounted prices for Prime members. These are unlocked cell phones, and you can see the full list that they currently have up right now on screen. Uh, So it kind of covers the whole gamut of pricing. Uh, They have models from LG and Motorola right now. A lot of these work on all of the major U.S. carriers as well. So if you spend uh, $189 here on the Moto G6, Uh, you'll get a phone that works on all four of the carriers that are out there. In fact, every phone above this one also supports all four of those carriers too. So if you're looking for a new smartphone and don't want to spend all that much, uh, check out the Amazon Prime discounts for phones. So now let's take a look at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed a lot of cool stuff. The new Fire HD 8 tablet, the new 8-bit Doe controllers, and the Apple Watch Series 4. And we'll have some more information on that watch a little later this week. On the main channel, we got four videos up, including a portable USB-powered touch display, uh, the Amazon Fire HD 8 review, along with those 8-bit Doe controller reviews. And I talked about uh, the new Plex web shows that we're now a part of as well. And speaking of Plex web shows, on my mind this week as we enter week 85 of me doing this as a full-time occupation, uh, we are now on that Plex web shows feature, which I talked about in that video. And what's cool about this is that you can load up Plex, uh, select my channel or other channels, and just have it play a continuous stream of web content for you at night. That's kind of cool. So that is now up and running, and we're sending them new content. We've got a few videos still to shoot up to that platform, so be on the lookout for those. And last year, I was only on YouTube pretty much, but this year, uh, we're now on YouTube, Facebook, Amazon, and Plex, and I'll show you where to find me on some of these other platforms. Uh, So on Amazon, I'm in the video shorts section. 
Uh, so what I'm doing on a lot of the products that I review is that we can upload my video into this Amazon Video Shorts thing and match it up with a specific product. And what's been great about this is that some videos that don't do too well on this channel because they're so popular actually do okay on Amazon. So one of my top videos on Amazon right now is my AirPods review, uh, just because it seems to work really well in that platform and customers are already on that a particular product listing to see it. So I've been really uh, enjoying my time over there. Now, YouTube remains my primary upload location uh, just because I have the largest following and also because it actually makes the most money at the moment. So we're going to be sticking with that as the primary. Uh, then as the videos start to uh, fade a little bit on YouTube, I'll start putting them up on those other platforms as well. So we keep an eye on what the real-time counter is and then we decide when to uh, upload things to some of those other platforms. And what's been interesting, though, about Facebook, which is our other new platform this month, uh, is that my reviews are not doing as well there as they do on YouTube, yet the Extras Channel stuff is doing very well. And my suspicion is, is that the Extras Channel unboxings are usually just the product, and I think that is capturing the viewer's attention uh, more than just opening up with my face. So one of the experiments we're going to be doing this week is taking my uh, review videos for this week and instead of just uploading the identical version from the YouTube channel, we're going to buffer it with about three to five seconds of B-roll before the intro starts to see if we can grab some more viewers that way. Because it's been really interesting just to see how much better the unboxings are doing versus the reviews on Facebook. And the unboxings on Facebook are getting more viewership than they're actually getting on the Extras channel on YouTube. So who knows? Maybe the Extras channel is a better place on Facebook. But we'll keep playing around with this stuff. And it's just been really interesting just to see how each of these platforms is different in how viewers consume content. And of course, Twitch is the other thing that's out there we really haven't done much with yet just because I don't do a lot of streaming. But there you, again, you can see that uh, live streaming really wins the day on Twitch, but the on-demand content is not as prevalent. So it's really just a matter of trying to get the content tuned for uh, each of these places without having to put in too much extra work. So we'll see what happens and uh, keep an eye on it. And we'll have a Q&A in a few minutes about which of these platforms is best to watch me on. Now, all of these different platforms are creating some challenges for me here for uploads because my Comcast account only supports 12 megabits per second upstream, and that's on a good day. Uh, so I've been really struggling to try to figure out how we get all these videos uploaded. Uh, and as the resolutions increase of the videos that I want to make and the frame rates increase, those files are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And Comcast did not have many options for me. Even when I called about a week ago, uh, the best they could do is what I already had. Uh, and then I went on their website just for the heck of it. And I said, hey, what are the available internet offers in my area? And wouldn't you know, if you just click on internet on its own, you get offered this, 2,000 megabits per second. And as it turns out, this is their Gigabit Pro, which is a fiber optic to the home product. And it's two gigabits per second symmetrical for $300 a month, which means you get two gigs down and two gigs up. Now, this is twice as fast as my home Ethernet network is, so that's going to create some networking challenges to get the uh, full speed that this offers. But this looks like, for me at least, a deal I should pursue, so I have pursued it. I called the number, and when I called the number, nobody there knew what the heck I was talking about. I got transferred around to a dozen different people and then finally got to uh, somebody that knew what this product was. And then they kind of interrogated me in a nice way to make sure I knew what I was ordering and why I needed it, because this is not a uh, typical Comcast installation. Uh, so after that little interview was done, they said, all right, we're going to put a ticket in. 
and we need to see how far you are from the nearest fiber tap because they don't want to have this fiber optic thing going in where they have to take the whole neighborhood offline to get you up. So they have to find a tap where they can extend a fiber optic cable just for you from that tap to your house, which is why this service is really not something that I think is going to be a widespread offer, uh, nor do I think it's going to be something that's going to be inexpensive. Uh, So, so far, I meet one of the criteria, uh, which is that I am less than 1,700 feet from that fiber tap. I'm about 800 feet away from it. It must be somewhere in the neighborhood. I'm not sure where, but uh, I'll find out when they start moving this a little bit further along. Now, the next step, which is happening as we speak, uh, is they are now looking at the physical construction plan for taking this wire from the tap and then bringing it all the way over to my house and installing it inside the basement here. And once that part is completed and they have a construction cost, then they will move forward with the actual install. So this might be another month or two before we have it in place. But once it is in place, uh, my upload speeds will be going up dramatically, which I'm really excited about. And it's also going to make it easier to do live streaming and a bunch of other stuff because we haven't been able to keep a consistent uh, upload speed for live streaming when I've done a few of those in the past. It buffers out a lot. It just wasn't working very well, uh, partly because there's some issue going on in the neighborhood with my internet that when you're doing a steady upload thing here, we're just not getting a reliable connection. Uh, This being a direct fiber connection right into the backbone of Comcast local network, I think will do a lot better. And if you're curious about this service, there is a great article on Medium that I suggest you check out by James Watt. This guy I think I would get along with. He's like a fellow tech geek like me, and he just had to have the bandwidth, and he ordered this service, and he has a whole uh, very detailed diary of the entire process right down to the install. Uh, they bring the fiber into your house. They, they start you know, splicing wires together. I just can't wait for this to happen. I hope it does so that I can document it for you as well with a little more video. Uh, And he's got it going at his place, and he even changed his entire network over to 10 gigabit internally so that he can make use of the total speed. I'm not sure I'm going to do that right away. I think what I'll probably just be getting the advantage of here is uh, that 2 gigabits being available in the aggregate. So uh, if I have multiple computers connected to uh, unique ports on the switch that they'll be giving me as well as part of this, uh, we should be able to take advantage of that 2 gigabits, just not on the same computer at a time. And the switch that they bring in for you is this $11,000 Juniper switch. I don't know how they even make this profitable for them. They must have some lease agreement. Uh, So this is what they hook up in the house to get this service working. Uh, So although this is being sold as a residential uh, product, it certainly is not a residential installation. This is an enterprise-level installation that they're making here, and uh, they're now experimenting with offering this on the residential side. And what I'm learning so far is that bringing fiber to the home, especially for Comcast, is going to be incredibly difficult. Their entire network architecture is built around fiber to coax. They got these little nodes that are hanging up on the uh, poles all over the place. And those nodes take one uh, input of fiber and then convert it to coax, which then gets delivered to the neighborhood. So to go fully fiber is probably not something Comcast can do uh, at any kind of reasonable price. And what I'm really interested to see moving forward with this is when uh, 5G rolls out, uh, what does Comcast do to respond to that, given the uh, bandwidth might be uh, a little better, actually, on that 5G service versus what they're offering over coax at the moment? So it's going to be interesting, hopefully, once competition rolls into place. And I'm looking forward to getting this big uh, $11,000 switch installed in my basement. And speaking of competition, there are some things happening in my state and maybe yours as well with competitive services. 
Uh, so this new company is coming into parts of Connecticut, not where I live, unfortunately. Uh, they're offering unlimited gigabit symmetrical service for $90 a month uh, in more of the densely populated areas of my state. And given my population density here, I don't expect to ever see these kinds of deals roll around, but it does give you an idea as to, I think, where we're going to see the market headed. And whether it's 5G or some kind of competitive fiber service, uh, hopefully we'll start seeing more of this happening because I think there is a consumer need uh, for faster speeds, especially those of us who work from home that produce large files and need to get them transported to clients and to video services. And I'm hoping uh, that more of you will have the same choices I'm finally getting here uh, for more reasonable prices. So stay tuned. We'll have an idea as to whether or not uh, this Comcast thing is going to work by the end of the week. And hopefully within two or three months, if I'm approved, we'll be uh, uploading much faster and doing more live streaming and a lot of other fun stuff too. So stay tuned. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And the first item here uh, is about Microsoft's latest Windows 10 update that is apparently, for some users, deleting files after it is installed. Uh, including documents and photos and videos and other things. So the first bit of advice I have for you is that if you installed this update, uh, go in and do a full backup immediately. I'm not sure how long it takes for whatever this thing is to happen, but if you do have this update installed, uh, just as a precaution, make sure you've got a good backup. Uh, this was not, though, I believe, rolled out automatically just yet to all users. Uh, so you had to kind of opt into this through Windows Update to get it earlier than others might. Uh, so if you are uh, concerned about it, they have pulled it for the time being and will be trying to figure out what happened and then rolling it back out. So stay tuned, but the October big update is a bit problematic and uh, make sure you got yourself a good backup. And if you were saddened over the loss of Toys R Us, there might be some hope for you. Uh, it looks like they will be bringing back the brand in some way, shape or form. Uh, they had a tweet on their Twitter account over the weekend to say that Jeffrey the giraffe is coming back. Unfortunately, though, it probably won't be all the employees coming with him that were laid off over this debacle. Uh, there was a press release on their website. Apparently, the new company is called Jeffrey LLC, and the assets of Jeffrey LLC are going to be acquired by the secured lenders in the bankruptcy proceedings. Basically, everyone who is owed money uh, from Toys R Us is going to take over the company here. And it looks like, though, these new stores are not going to be stores at all. They're going to be bringing them back, they say, in a new and reimagined way, uh, which means that it will likely be some kind of store within a store or maybe some kind of pop-up thing, but not to the extent that Toys R Us used to be with huge uh, big boxes. And speaking of those big boxes, a lot of them have been sold already, which is why you're not going to see these big toy stores back anytime soon. Uh, there was an article here in the National Real Estate Investor about uh, who's taking over some of those former Toys R Us spaces. Uh, Toys R Us actually owns a lot of the buildings that they were in. They had a pretty substantial real estate portfolio, uh, including the store that's right up the road from me that was built about 35 years ago or so. Uh, they own that building. They haven't sold that one yet, but a lot of the other ones have been auctioned off or sold off, and I don't expect them to be making use of these spaces anytime soon. So expect more of those Toys R Us stores to become uh, something else in the near future. Uh, and there's also an article in Investor's Business Daily that speculates what exactly we might see. Uh, they'll probably want to do something in time for the holiday season, which is why it'll probably, again, be some kind of store-within-a-store -store model. 
uh, but it won't be the Toys R Us we all remembered, unfortunately, at least anytime soon. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And this first question came in from Ramon, who was curious about uh, whether or not watching me on Plex web shows versus YouTube will hurt the financial health of the channel. And the answer to that is definitely no. I don't know which one is going to make more money on a day-to-day basis than the other, but my philosophy is be ubiquitous. Get your content out on many, as many platforms as you possibly can, which is what I've been uh, trying to do over the last couple of months. And my only rule or criteria is that if I'm going to make the effort to put content somewhere, uh, that there should be some kind of revenue share in exchange for that. And all four of the platforms that we are operating with right now have that. And some will make more money than others in the short term, and that's just going to be what it is. But again, I want to be ubiquitous. I want this brand to be a media brand and not something that is uh, attached to one platform versus the other. Uh, right now, of course, YouTube is the bulk of my uh, revenue just because it's where a bulk of the views come from and it's where a bulk of my subscribers are finding me from. But we're trying some other stuff out too just to see how it all works. And I'm eager to keep trying because if you get on a platform early, right when it launches, there's tremendous opportunity there to stand out, uh, especially when you're on a platform like YouTube where there are literally millions of other people doing the same thing that I am. Uh, So any chance I can get to be featured somewhere in front of a lot of people is good for the channel growth in the long run. And I'm also thinking about some of the sponsor content that I do because for a sponsor, I can say, hey, it's not only going to be on YouTube, but you're going to be on Amazon and on uh, on Plex and maybe LinkedIn and maybe we'll do something on uh, Facebook as well. So there's some value beyond just a per view kind of revenue stream here that I think is good for us in the long run. So I'm looking at this again, very long range here. And anytime a new platform launches that monetizes, I'm very eager to get on those, even if they don't succeed in the end. Uh, VidMe is a great example of that. We were putting a lot of content up on VidMe uh, just because I saw it as something that might kind of rise up as a, you know, kind of a second tier YouTube competitor. But unfortunately, uh, that one went away. But I'm, again, not sad that I did it because I'm sure people discovered me there and followed me on some of these other platforms that are still out there and operating. And a good reason why you want to get up on a platform early after it launches is my friend Goldie here. So Goldie, who has been helping us out at CES over the last couple of years, Uh, She started uploading daily videos to LinkedIn uh, right when they launched their native video platform. And now she's got, I think, close to 35,000 followers on LinkedIn, if not more, which is a lot for that platform. And she's also, I believe, the top video creator on LinkedIn. And that's led to a whole bunch of other opportunities for her, uh, both for her personal brand, but also the social media company she runs. So she found tremendous value by putting in a lot of work Uh, on a platform right when it first launched because when you're there first, people are going to see you more and she definitely uh, was able to take advantage of that early launching opportunity. So anytime you see a new platform launching in whatever vertical you're in, pounce on it because you can really get a lot of growth very, very quickly in the early days of a new platform. Now this next question comes in from Stacy Luster and he's curious if I've ever tried to live in Linux for a month and the answer is No, I've never lived in Linux for a month, but I have tried to get there uh, in the past. My first attempt was back in probably the mid to late 90s. I think I was trying to get uh, Slackware installed and operating on my PC uh, because at the time I was first getting into the internet and I would log into this Unix box with a terminal command, did a whole video on that. 
and I wanted to get that experience on my own computer and have a more advanced operating system running versus Windows 95 or 98 I was running at the time. Uh, but I couldn't get it to work. I got it to kind of boot up, but all the drivers didn't work. My modem and serial port didn't work, and it was such a pain to try to get everything uh, connected and working. Uh, things have gotten a lot better over the years. In fact, Ubuntu now, I think, is excellent, uh, both at hardware detection and just its overall look, feel, and polish. You can just download it right now and try it out. They've got a live CD version that will let you experiment a little bit with it to see if it is going to be good for you or not. Uh, so they've made some tremendous gains, I think, in making Linux a lot more consumer-friendly, but it's still not quite there uh, because what happens is that if your drivers don't work, um, getting them is really difficult, especially for some of the Wi-Fi adapters that are out there, uh, especially for some of the other unique hardware you might be trying to use. It gets a little tricky to uh, get this stuff working for general consumers, which I think Windows does a lot better at the moment. But Linux is making some significant inroads with consumers through Chrome OS, and they don't even know they have it. Uh, and that's what I think is so brilliant about it. So, of course, Chromebooks now are making major inroads into the education market. Uh, my school system and many others now issues Chromebooks to just about every kid in the school system. So you can think about the install base here of Chrome devices all running Linux. And now that they're uh, doing their Crostini container system where you can actually install open source Linux apps on your Chromebook and run them like any other application, uh, that is going to, I think, create tremendous opportunities for the open source community and perhaps a lot of new application ports coming over from Windows and Mac as well because now you've got a huge install base of people eager to uh, maybe replicate something they're missing on Windows or Mac, and there's probably some way to make this work financially for a lot of these foundations and commercial operations. And again, I think Chrome OS really is kind of the entry point, and this might spur other manufacturers to start bringing out their own Linux operating systems or bringing Ubuntu along or something to get wider commercial adoption because really that's been the missing piece is hardware manufacturers marketing these things to consumers and it looks like Chrome OS is really the first Linux operating system to be successfully marketed to consumers in that way. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on it and see uh, what happens but I am uh, very eager to see how this kind of plays out because I really think Chrome OS now is a third competitor uh, to Windows and uh, Apple, at least so far as consumer operating systems are concerned. Now, this next question came in from my dad, actually, but he didn't write this email. This is something he got the other day. Uh, this was an extortion attempt that came into his email. It was addressed to his email address, and they had one of the passwords he used to use on websites in the subject line. And what they're threatening him here is to uh, release uh, some webcam video of him doing whatever, uh, and if they don't get $8,000 in Bitcoins in the next 36 hours, they're going to start sending it to all of his contacts out there. Uh, now, clearly, this is something that he realized was a fake right out of the gate here because he's never done what they said he did. Um, but this is what's going around. And where did they get that password from? Well, a couple of years ago, a number of websites got hacked and usernames and password combinations got out into the wild. They've been circulating in these databases out on the dark web. Uh, two of the main sources of these are uh, LinkedIn and Adobe. Uh, both of these sites got hit pretty hard and hackers walked away with the username and password combos for a lot of people. And the concern here is that once they get that email address and that password, uh, they can start trying it out on other websites to see if maybe they can get access to your banking information or other things, which makes it really important 
that you don't have the same password used for more than one website because if somebody compromises one of these sites, they get your username and password combo uh, and then they can start getting into other stuff as well or you'll get emails like this. Now, this information's out there. People are getting at it and they're trying all sorts of different ways to either extort money from people or access their private and personal information directly, which of course is a concern. Now, I use something called LastPass, which is a pretty decent and robust password manager. It's been getting better and better over the years. Uh, what I use it for is to generate a secure password uh, individually for every website that I visit. In fact, I don't know what any of my passwords are at all. LastPass knows what they are. And LastPass is secured by a master password, which is <laughs> probably a point of weakness. But there's a master password that uh, LastPass uses to unlock everything and then begins unlocking other websites. And they now have an app uh, for the iOS platform that's been out for a while, but now it connects up with iOS 12. So if I'm in an app, I can access the passwords through uh, LastPass directly, which has been a big help. Apple also has a built-in password manager now, too, that works on the Mac via Safari or on your iOS device. There's other ones out there, too, but LastPass is the one that I settled on. I think it's like $2 a month if you pay for an annual subscription, and I think that's probably a good price to pay for some peace of mind. Uh, the way LastPass works is that it does sync up your passwords in the clouds so that all your devices can get at it, but it's a pre-internet encryption for that password blob. So if somebody were to hack the uh, LastPass servers, unless they know your password, they're not going to be able to get at uh, the information inside of your password file, which really makes having a secure password really important. I also backed mine up with two-factor authentication. So if somebody did get the password, uh, they still need to have my authenticator app to get at it. So there are some safeguards I've put into place, but nonetheless, you still have to keep that master password secure. And that leads me to this question as to whether or not uh, passwords are even viable anymore as a security mechanism because they are as old as computers themselves are. And I thought it was pretty cool back in the 80s when I was logging into BBSs with a username and password just like the War Games movie. But of course, times change. And there's some new uh, ideas kind of circulating out there to uh, go beyond passwords and make it easier for people to log in, but also make it more secure. Uh, one of those is something that Steve Gibson from the Security Now podcast has been working on called Secure Quick Reliable Login or Squirrel. And it involves using a uh, little QR code on a website with an app that you uh, scan it with and you're able to log into a website without them ever getting any of your authentication information. So when you think about this recent Facebook thing where somebody could get your login credential and then log into any other website that you had initially registered through Facebook, uh, that attack would not work here because you are authenticating locally. And the system takes some explanation to understand exactly how it works, but there's a good website that I've got linked up on screen right now that I think provides the best explanation for it. Uh, so basically it creates a single master key that's the basis for all of these Squirrel-enabled websites that you're logging into. Uh, that key is never shared. It's a private key that you keep on your computer, but it utilizes unique site-specific digital signatures to prove your identity. So there's a public key that gets created from that master private key. And they also have something called identity lock so that if that uh, master key was ever exposed, you could immediately de-authenticate across all these other websites. The problem, though, at least as I read it, is that you still need to have something that you hang on to locally, whether you print it out or store it on a computer. Because if you lose that initial credential, 
uh, you're kind of out of luck in proving who you are later. So that's the one issue that I see with this, that you have to have something retained uh, in order for this system to work in the case that you have to regenerate your identity. But beyond that, I think it might be a good alternative if they can figure out some way to make it a little bit easier for consumers to recover themselves if they happen to lose the master key file or the authentication method for regenerating that master key. But there are some benefits here in the sense that you don't have a username or password anymore. So if somebody were to break into uh, LinkedIn again, uh, they would just have the credential to get you logged into LinkedIn and nowhere else. And I think it actually might be difficult for them even to log into LinkedIn again. Uh, there's no keyboard interaction, so you do have the ability to uh, avoid getting your keystrokes logged when you are putting in that username and password combination. You only need to keep your master key safe. There's no list of usernames or passwords to keep track of, so it kind of eliminates the need for a password manager because if that key is safe, every time you log into a website, it authenticates based on that and you're back in again. Uh, and there's also no way to link one person across sites based only on the site-specific public key. So in other words, you don't have that issue we had with Facebook. Uh, websites may ask for more information that could be tracked, of course, later, but this doesn't create a cookie issue where if you're logged into Facebook with that authentication token, they can't see what you're doing on some other site that uh, uses that access token in some way. So there's some privacy issues this addresses, but I think it also is a lot simpler from uh, a standpoint of usernames and passwords because to tell my parents, hey, folks, uh, you need to have a separate password and username for everything, uh, they can't deal with it. It's just too much to remember. My mother keeps a pad of everything that she's writing down in. I mean, it's just a mess right now. They forget their passwords all the time. I'm constantly having to help them restore their passwords. It just doesn't work. Uh, something like this, if they can at least make that issue of losing the master key a little bit easier, uh, might be the way to go. Uh, Squirrel is not officially out and released just yet, but they do have some ways you can play with it uh, on the GRC website that I have linked down below in the video description. So if you're eager to try it out and look at a different way of authentication, uh, check it out because I think it might be uh, one of the solutions we have to passwords in the future because clearly usernames and passwords here are really a big security problem and are no longer effective in my opinion. And in my Q&A for you this week, I'm curious if you got any of those extortion emails in your inbox. You might have to check your spam folder. That's where mine showed up, but I'm just curious to see uh, how many people got because I've got a lot of them over the last couple of days and I can see why people might be concerned over that, especially if they have a guilty conscience. Uh, our channel of the week this week is Planet Money, which is a podcast that I listen to from time to time. This is an NPR show uh, here in the United States, but they cover uh, economics in a very fun way. And they look at specific industries and some very unusual stuff. And you can really start to get a feel of the connections between uh, odd things. And it's a really good uh, listen, not too long, a lot of fun. They had a whole series recently on microsatellites, which I'll link to uh, here on screen that you can check out. Fascinating what people are doing with these tiny little satellites, which are, uh, in the scheme of things, not all that expensive to launch. They had one instance where a satellite was looking at oil drums in China. They could actually determine how full those drums were and begin shipping new shipments of crude oil to those locations before they were even placing an order for it because they were able to see the levels decline. Fascinating stuff, and uh, this is what cheap satellites uh, make it easier to do, applying spycraft to economics. Great, great listen. you got to check it out. So this week on the channel, we got a couple of things I want to look at. Uh, right now, we're in the process of evaluating the Chewy Lapbook SE, another one of these uh, inexpensive Chinese laptops that we get in from time to time. 
Uh, we'll be running some uh, of our usual stuff on that very shortly. I got in the Apple Watch Series 4. It looks a lot like my old one, but it, there are some differences. So we'll talk a little bit about this in a review. Uh, this thing has been reviewed to death already all over YouTube, so I want to cover things that people haven't done yet. Uh, so let me know down in the comments below if there's anything specific that hasn't been addressed in other people's reviews, and I'll try to look at that. I'm really going to spend some time talking about some of the new things that I'm using the watch for now that I have something new uh, versus the Series Zero watch I had uh, for the last three or four years or so. So it's a big upgrade for me. I also got this short throw projector that I mentioned last week. We're probably going to get to it this week. Uh, as of this moment, I have a whole week here in the office without having to go anywhere, which is like the first time in a month I can say that. So I'm hoping to get caught up on a lot of things that I haven't yet been able to get to, including maybe messing around with uh, some of these new Steam uh, Linux uh, things where you can run Windows games better on the Steam OS platform and other Linux installations too. So that might be one of the things I get to once I get through my reviews for the week. So stay tuned, lots more to come. And if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex in addition to our Plex web shows inclusion. Uh, we also have an affiliate arrangement with Plex. So if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. And if you gift or sign up for a Plex pass, you can get a little bit of a larger commission over to the channel with your subscription. So those are some ways to help us out. We have other channels, including the Extras channel, where I unbox stuff and post supplementary content. We have the podcast feed at lon.tv slash podcast for an audio version of this and other things. We also have the Snippets channel, which is uh, search-friendly versions of this show. We're very close to the monetization level over there. Just a few more subscribers and a few more watch hours, and we're in. So uh, you can keep watching portions of this over on that channel. And we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams. And again, I hope to do more with that if I'm able to get this new internet service. So I will keep you all posted on those developments, too, as things move along. And we also have the bell that you can click on to get notified whenever I do go live or do anything else. So definitely check that out. And if you want to engage with the channel, you can go to lon.tv slash email and sign up for my infrequent email list. We also have the Facebook page, which is much more busy these days with video content at lon.tv slash Facebook. We have the Facebook group where you can talk with other viewers on the channel. We're almost to 500 members of that one at lon.tv slash Facebook group. Great place to interact. I'm getting a lot of great ideas from folks and we have the store at lon.tv slash store where I sell uh, the things that I bought to review here on the channel. And up there right now is that Amazon Fire HD 8. And if you want some other notifications when I do put things up on the store, you can sign up for a special email list there where you'll get an email every time I change the inventory there. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Let me know what you thought down in the comments below. And until next time, I will see you on the interwebs. This is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Gerard Newberg, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more.
And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.